You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that focuses on music and tech and music tech. And so happy to have you here on one of the first several episodes of Music Tectonics, where we explore what's going on beneath the surface of music and technology. And really excited to have some great guests to talk about one of the hottest issues of the day, metadata. <laughs> the president of Viva Sound, Deborah Fairchild. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you doing, Amici? I'm great. Thanks for being here. And also your vice president at Viva Sound, uh, Drew Waters. What's up, Drew? Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Calling in from Los Angeles is Drew. And, and Deborah, you're in Nashville? Yes, currently I'm in Nashville today. I'll be in LA Monday, so who knows? Today you got me here. Coast to coast, metadata everywhere. So we're going to talk about Viva Sound in a minute, but I want to make this relevant to our listeners right out of the gate. And it seems like everyone in the music industry has been talking about metadata over, over the last few years. Let's just, just define what do we mean by metadata? Which one of you wants to take that? See, I once heard someone say that metadata is a love letter to the future. And I attribute that to Paul Jessup, but he denies he said it, but that's the first place that I said it. So my personal metadata assigns it to Paul. So you can think of metadata as information. Well, let's, let's break it down, though. When you say metadata, like when I think of metadata, I think about who is the performer, who's the songwriter, who, uh, what are the track names, how long are the tracks, where does it go from there? What else? Yeah, is it's, all, it's all the pertinent information. Think, and the more information you have, the better something can be organized and discoverable. The reason libraries work so well is because they have an alphabetized system. Basically, if you want to find a book, the metadata in this case would be collected would be the author's name, and it's organized alphabetically by the author's name. So when you go into a certain, start in a certain section, and if you happen to know the author's name, then you can track down all the books they've ever written, if the library happens to have it in the collection. It's the same thing with an album. You know, you can search by songwriter's name, uh, the content creator, or, or the content contributor, which might be the performers, or the engineers, or the producers. Um, you can search by song title. And it's important because if you want to find more by each one of those stakeholders, if, it's, if, all, if all these assets or all this music is properly enriched, then you can not only find the bass player, but all the work that the bass player has ever done. So I can lead you down sort of rabbit holes of discovery. So you got, you've, got the, you've got the performers and the individual band members. You've got the composer songwriters in there. Mm -hmm. And you've got the track titles, obviously. Um, but you also mentioned producers and engineers. Currently, are there any consumer-facing outlets where you can actually use that to find any information? Or is this, like you said, it was a love letter to the future. Yep. But is yep. there anything currently where you can find that stuff or not really? Well, kind of, it depends on where you're looking because there's, uh, um, I think, is Deborah's title offering that now, that metadata in terms of producers and engineers a little bit? Yeah, there are a couple of DSPs that are looking to show enriched metadata. I know Spotify's started an initiative behind it and title. And then there's a really cool company that their sole focus is displaying metadata and linkage in the back end. And that company is called Jaxta. So they are, their whole initiative and database that they're building, they're actually getting data from the major mu music companies. So not only is it everything moving forward that's in there, but also the legacy and historical information. 
So like Drew was saying, it's, it's really cool. It's in beta right now. Um, but you can click on a guitar player or you could click on an engineer's name. You could click on a songwriter. One story I like to always tell people cause it actually happened. I feel like a lot of people try to embellish on metadata and make it cool. Um, but this actually happened where someone was telling me, Oh, you're from, from Nashville. And I was like, well, I live there. I'm based there. They're like, I don't like country music at all, but I actually like this song by Miranda Lambert, this song by Casey Musgraves and this song by Faith Hill. And I was like, well, that's interesting. You actually probably like that songwriter because that one person wrote all those songs cut by those different people. And they were like, really? What? I had no idea. So I told them the songwriter's name and then they started looking them up and they ended up becoming a fan of all these different artists, that country artists, but they were actually a fan of the way the songwriter wrote. So I think that's one example of the way metadata can, when you find it, it can actually lead to more discovery. If you think about it, yeah, Deborah just juxted a person. Yeah, and like Deborah was saying, you can think of Jaxta as like a IMDb. Yeah, it's more like an IMDb for entertainment media and everyone that contributes and creates. So there's a great use of metadata. It's bas- it's comprehensive. I saw a demo of it at the the PE Wing um, event at the the Village a couple of weeks ago, and Jackie, um, the CEO, pulled up the app on her phone. And um, the CEO of Jaxta, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. And and she uh, she typed in someone's name that was standing beside her, and the engineer leaned over and looked at the app and said, "That's probably everything I've ever done." It was all in one space. Yeah, it was cool. It was a great demo, and it was it wasn't staged at all. (laughs) It was a complete accident, completely by chance. So well, let's let's talk a little bit about the importance of that. Okay, so there's this idea of discovery for the music listener so that they can find out something they might not have known and then followed the rabbit hole. It turns out that maybe it's not the performer that they are always in love with. It's a songwriter and then they discover a whole other catalog of music. So on the, on the consumer facing side, there's this, this experience of discovery, or it could be like you said, the guitar player, the bass player, anything else. Um, but then is there also a monetization opportunity as a result of having additional metadata that is populated throughout the entire music system? Yeah, absolutely. It's great for the labels because if someone says, I want something by Marshall Mathers or Marshall Bruce Mathers, or some other person says, I want something by Marshall Bruce Mathers III, someone else says, I want something by Eminem. If all that metadata is, or Slim Shady, if all that metadata is entered properly, um, the label wins and the artist wins because it gets the consumer closer to the business where they can download that asset or stream that asset. Definitely revenue opportunity. I've always thought of metadata like in the previous, I've been in the music industry since the 90s. And in, in the, at that time, th- one of the big promotional things was end caps at major record stores, Tower Records, Virgin Records, Borders, and and, uh, all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, where you would actually pay to have your stuff displayed on the end of an aisle, on the end cap. And those were like fishing lines that you put out in the sea, and the fans were walking past them with listening stations where they could actually listen and so forth. Now, obviously, most stuff you can find online listening, any major releases and lots of other independent stuff as well. But what are those fishing lines? Sure, the playlists are those fishing lines as well. But in some ways, I think this metadata are like even more of those nets of capturing people's interest because the bait is those relationships and things like that. Yeah, I think the, the bait too is voice. 
you know, voice recognition, voice activation, where you can actually, you know, say, hey, uh, Siri, play me everything from the boss. Well, it might be in the databases, Bruce Springsteen, maybe it's not been entered as the boss or the Fab Four, or play all the stuff that the cute beetle created. So that's, <laughs> meta, that's metadata as well. And, and labels and artists are starting to realize you have to include all of this at all times because people speak, you know, they, they, they talk to their phone, each other and phones in colloquial terms. So, do the do the DSPs and the systems underneath that get music to the DSPs have metadata fields for nicknames? Yeah, I think that's good that Drew mentioned the voice thing because that's kind of your question about that is the same in terms of there is now a huge push, which our company is involved in with some of our clients, but in adding more metadata to keep up with different and new technologies. So the voice activation, nicknames, being able to look in a search query of like, okay, I'm going to put some shady and then I'm going to find him the nim. Things like that is all happening in the back end to really help with the consumer experience. And then in turn, it does help help the content owners and artists and producers getting royalties. And anyone who's in the royalty stream is benefiting from tagging, the, the metadata tagging being enriched. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll talk more about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities um, from metadata, but let's back up now. You guys seem to know a lot about this stuff. Let's talk a little bit about your company, Viva Sound, and, and how it is that you know so much about metadata. What is, your, what is the work that Viva Sound does, and what's the relationship to this conversation? Yeah, well, we started Viva Sound 17 years ago, so I've, I've been with our company 16 years, which sounds like an eternity in terms of metadata and audio and things like that, but we really... This is our specialty, and it's what we specialize in, and we stayed really focused on not only the metadata side of it, but also really the inclusiveness of making this a standard across the board. So back in 2010, we created within DDEX the Studio Metadata Working Group. So at that time, there are different DDEX messages that are data is being sent around in a standard way, and our company was really the voice and help helping with the producer engineer side, along with Maureen Droney from the Recording Academy. Um, we started the group and different companies got involved in it. And our, it really started the path of not only what studio metadata fields are important, but also providing that framework to, that has turned into the REN file. Yeah, let's explain a couple of those terms. You mentioned DDEX. We have a pretty, I think we have a pretty diverse set of listeners. So if you could maybe explain DDEX and, uh, and REN files as well. Absolutely. So DDEX is the digital data exchange. So it's a, it's a group of companies and members that vary all the way across the digital supply chain. So it's D DSPs, which is like Spotify, Pandora, Tidal, um, all of the major record companies, as well as independent companies like Universal Music Group and Warner and Sony. Um, Beggars Group is actually a new member of, of DDEX. And then it's also companies like Viva. So um, we are part of the REN message, which is the recording identification notification. So it's all of the fields that should be captured while someone is making music. So some of the fields that we specialize in are Recording dates, venue locations. So what studio are you in? Are you at your house? Are you 
at Abbey Road in London, you know, where are you? And um, a huge thing is who are you recording? So a lot of what's gotten lost when things went digital along with um, things just showing up now in links where you have a link and you download it and then you see what the audio is. A lot of the metadata has kind of gotten lost in terms of gathering that. So we really push to help engineers understand the importance of gathering this and then giving them a method. So we have a plugin that they can use and it's free so they can download a plugin and put it into their virtual session, logic session, whatever they're working in to gather this information while they're recording. And then it flows with the session and then ultimately gets inserted into the supply chain and then continues down that way. Well, let's talk about that. So, so your, your uh, plugin is called studio collect. Um, why did you create studio collect? Why are, you know, talk a little bit about who the audience or user base is for that and, and what made you think that was a good place to a good problem to solve. Um, the plugin was, was created for something we mentioned earlier about the importance of collecting information at the point of inception. Uh, that's probably when, you know, everyone's in the same room at the same time and your, your memory is, is not going to fade because you're staring at the people that are actually in the room. They haven't left yet and it's not month, a month or, you know, one year later. So we decided to create this plugin, um, that was, uh, really convenient and really simple. So the plugin itself resides in any digital audio workstation that you're using. And you only need one instantiation per, per song or per project in, in let's say, Pro Tools. Um, sits in the insert section, so those engineers that are listening will understand what that means. And it's a simple interface that collects basically who, what, where, and when. So it'll collect on, like uh, Deborah said, the location. So you can put in the actual address, the name of the studio, room A, B, or C that you might be working in. Um, all the people that are involved, singers, songwriters, engineers, producers, musicians. Within the musicians, you can choose which instrument they play. Um, that location builds out to country, state, city. Uh, the date, of course. Um, you can collect all your tech specs. So sample rate, bit depth. Um, let's see. I think all the essentials that any... Uh, numerical identifiers or alphanumerical identifiers um, that are attributed to your name can be collected there as well. And the cool thing is you can report uh, report out and uh, with this through XML or PDF. So that can go to your own records or it can be shared with other people. It can be, sh be shared up to the, the label. So it's collaborative that way. If it can travel, um, this information travels with the... Uh, with, with the audio associated audio and associated um, uh, project as well. Oh, sorry. A little tie back. I want to tie back to what Deborah said about what DDEX is mm -hmm. and recording information notification, the RIN, uh, which is all the essential metadata captured in one report. Um, it's RIN compat. It's truly RIN compatible, which is great. And it makes sense. It's compatible because uh, Deborah and Viva sound designed uh, the actual report years ago. So, so it sounds like, uh, traditionally a record label or a studio, once a, once a recording was done, would sort of try to recreate what the metadata associated with it is or was. And so on the one hand, the, the studio collect plat plugin allows, um, users to capture it more in the moment. Um, and on the other hand, it also sounds like if, 
there's all this this uh, range of fields that need to be collected around metadata that if you're kind of running a smaller operation, you might not necessarily know that there's all these parameters that could actually be helpful. But by having the Studio Collect plugin accessible to a home musician, studio uh, bedroom uh, recording musician, you're basically giving them the parameters for what they should be kind of saving in terms of metadata and and tying it to the recordings. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing because like like project studios, um, bedroom studios, uh, full on uh, dedicated purpose built studios, they can all be professional because a lot of these people are making great music in their studios and in their home studios, and they're getting paid. I think that really defines what professional is, getting money for it. And but there's a lot of metadata that isn't collected, uh, which which results in lost opportunities. Um, so let's say you're creating production music and um, people hear this music and they're trying to track down who the composer is or who a certain guitar player is with the proper metadata that's, if it's available, you get more gigs because they can find you and say, hey, I really liked what you did here. If you produced this album or you sang on this album or you engineered this album, proper metadata collection uh, leads to um, another type of revenue. Previously, we spoke about how labels can benefit an artist. Well, this is how content uh, creators and, and contributors can benefit, where one a great gig leads to another great gig. If you can find out who did that that album in the first place, whatever the role was, that's metadata. Interesting. You know, um, I'm curious about some some of the challenges of metadata in the current era. In terms of, are there is there resistance for either um, consumer facing, uh, music outlets to ingest or display this data, or is there resistance at the record label or studio level to have additional tasks put on them? What, what are you seeing in terms of the challenges around metadata? I don't, I don't know if it's resistance matter. It's just a matter of education and there has to be like value. So once a CFO understands like what the value is and the return on, return is on investing in the process of metadata collection, um, then th- th- there'll be more people turning towards um, you know a more enriched metadata set that could be used for each project. So like we were saying before about like voice discovery, um, how basically if there's a if there's a benefit to the label, they'll adopt it more. And it's not a matter of resistance. It's just a matter of like the value has to be expressed. Deborah, what do you think about that? I agree. I think it's, I think, unfortunately, it's become, because obviously I feel like the music industry, people are, a lot of new people get involved in it. So there's just, in terms of education, that is, that part is true. Um, With us handling the audio and metadata for all of our clients, we're constantly talking to different producers and engineers. And if they've been, working and mixing albums since the nineties, you know, they remember when their information was all showing up in a CD jacket and they were listed and there was a sense of pride that went along with that. I think with that going away, it's caused more resistance because they can be thinking, you know, why am I doing this when I go on a streaming service and my name's not even listed yet. I spent X number of hours in the studio creating this Grammy winning album. So I think once now that that is shifting and more companies are understanding that and wanting to display enriched and enhanced metadata, it's really going to help all, all along the way in terms of people resisting the actual additional work and things like that, because they'll want the, their name 
you know, being shown while the song's being streamed and things like that. So I think we're in the process of transitioning it, but it's, it's come a long way and it's continuing to change and evolve. And I think the trend is definitely more positive versus, you know, 10 years ago when people were really stressing out over the streaming just in general, it's kind of that solidified it's here to stay. And, you know, how can we make it better? That really seems like the, the current vibe of most people involved. And Deborah brought up a, a, a super small point that can be expanded on where a lot of people think it's extra work. Why should they put in the extra work when they're not getting credit anyway? Well, the metadata is being, a lot of metadata is being sent up to the sense of people. It's just a matter of the usage. But the idea of more work where it's not actually, I always say people, when, when I talk to people about this, they're like, well, we're in the studio, it's super busy and you know, there's no time to do this. And I said, well, you know, every like we're at United Recording right now. That's where our office is in, in um, Los Angeles, and we've all been in studios as engineers. And um, we see this all. Like, I was at Capitol Records before this, where every single session the runner comes in with like you know ten menus, and everyone stops, and they they're thinking, oh, you know, I want Korean food today, or I'll have this you know vegan. Th- vegan burger down the street and someone else wants sushi during that time and you only need about three or four minutes for the second engineer producer engineer whoever to look around the room and at least jot down the names and what they're actually doing usually that's enough to get the process started just to memorialize everybody in the room and with another two or three minutes you can probably just ask while everyone has food in their mouth hey you know what's your phone number what's your email and That's why we've launched the metadata menu app. You order your lunch and you enter your metadata all in one app. Exactly. And you get your food once you've completed all the fields. Yeah, and while you're chewing, you know, it's, it doesn't take that long. It's 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 you know the it's the equivalent of of writing down people's names and what they did on a piece of paper. Let me ask you about one other challenge that I've I've, I've heard about. I haven't heard about it as much lately, but um, there w- there's been some attempts for creating a global rights database in the music industry. And what I like about Studio Collect is it's uh, stopping the bleeding of the missing metadata at the source uh, of, of the moment of creation of recording. That's a great um, way to put it. But, the, but there's still this massive catalog out there where there's a variety of incompletion stages of metadata. Um, and different organizations have made attempts or even collaborated to unite to announce their big global rights database. Um, but they, part of the problem is, you know, um, there's different agendas and different interests in what happens with those databases. I'm just curious if you guys are in this metadata world, have, are there thoughts about it where the collection of the previously recorded and not completely, um, metadata completion <laughs> stands that that you think of for, for solving that problem? Deborah, I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a, that's more of a political question. You know, I feel like everyone ideally would love to have a global database. The reality of that happening, I think, not to be pessimistic, but I think it's a little, you know, it's a lot of, we're dealing with a lot of legacy databases that some of these companies are, are working with and a lot of the the efforts behind making that happen, I think, are there. I just don't know realistically when and if that'll be achieved. Well, it may be that... I'm not trying to be negative. Oh, no. Um, But it may be that through the the project that you guys are working on and um, 
just pushing people to just know what the fields are and adding them now will create enough of a catalog of metadata that, um, you know, ultimately the DSPs will be ingesting that data and those with that data completed will get the most benefit. And so people will just do it based on market forces and it won't necessarily be about a global rights database, but ultimately the DSPs will kind of have a lot of that information, at least for, for some sides of the industry. Yeah. And we're pushing people towards JAXTA, you know, I mean, that, that is a, a company that has a database that is, actively and they have been actively signing up data partners so they're receiving data from publishers content owners record labels you know aggregating all different sorts of data fields together and they are ddex um members of ddex and ddex compliance so i'm really interested to see what what they do with their database and we're a huge advocate of letting people know about them um, because they really have taken on that that role of gathering this data from various sources. Yeah. Also like the unique role that we play uh, in working with all the um, major labels. Aside from that, I think we spend a lot of time um, trying to educate people in terms of making this habitual and it's not necessarily to our benefit at all. We just want producers, engineers and uh, musicians to get in the habit of creating, of collecting this metadata and how if they do it properly and they're doing well, it actually serves their grandchildren. Um, you know, it's, and that's, that part is, is the sort of the altruistic side of Viva where there's a ton of community contribution. Like Deborah and I do a lot of, um, a lot of conferences and speaking engagements and presentations and, we we talk about what we do what we do by default, but a lot of what we do doesn't directly serve uh, people in the audience because there's not major label people sitting in the audience. We would engage with them in a very different way besides a conference. And I think the, the goal, like one of our main goals, is is if everyone does this, um, everyone wins and the industry thrives a little more because of it. Right. Right. So, so I, I guess I, what I envision in a future, a future world of metadata is there's a lot more, um, a lot more fields being filled out more thoroughly. As a result, people are not only getting credit, but probably getting more monetization opportunities, creators, more work. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll get more work as well. So a, they, they may actually be generating revenue because of their credits and B people will know who they are and want to use them because they knew who, did some of the magic behind the recording. Right. Totally. Um, so there would be also a, a legacy of both the recognition and the monetization you mentioned for people's grandchildren. Well, that might be their inheritance might be as a result of having the right metadata in there. It is. Um, oh yeah. And then, and then on the, uh, you know, the fan consumer listener audience side of things, you have all these opportunities for getting deeper into music, uh, having, more of uh, a liner note reading type of experience than we've had over the last few years as liner notes have pretty much disappeared and not been recreated in the digital experience, the streaming experience and opportunities for discovery and discovery in ways that they've never had before um, going down rabbit holes around certain creators. And then also, like you said, the voice activated, the smart speaker experience where 
you start to discover music based on terms you could never use before as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what I'm seeing from your conversation is where you envision the future of, of metadata going and what, what the opportunities are. Yeah. It's for credit and discovery, proper credit and sort of like self curation exercises, which is great for the audience or the fan. It gets more music to the fan, which first and foremost, in my opinions is for the artist and fan. And secondarily that benefits the label that provides the support for the artist uh, so they can create more music. Great. I have one more question for you before, before we wrap up. Are there other companies or trends, maybe not directly related to what we've talked about so far today, that you're excited about in the music technology space? Um, we're both pretty excited about Jaxta, and everyone should check that out. We don't get any kickbacks for that. We just think it's an amazing company. And that's J-A-X-T-A, is that right? J-A-X-S-T-A, Jaxta. And um, there's also a company down the hall um, named called Jamcard, J-A-M-M-C-A-R-D, Jamcard. And they started about a year and a half ago. And if um, if Jaxta is the IMDB for the music and entertainment industry, I think that Jamcard is like a LinkedIn for producers, engineers, musicians. I'd say, well, musicians, producers, engineers. And it's a uh, vetted, um, it's a vetted company where you, you applied to uh, become a member, and they put on. And what they're in a mode right now where they're demonstrating very well uh, value to their to their members. So they have these really cool events in uh, Los Angeles, Atlanta, and soon Nashville and New York. Um, so it's a great database for people to find excellent musicians, producers, and engineers, and uh, surround themselves by the people that they love to work with. So it's an excellent network. Awesome. Deborah, do you have any shout outs of things you're excited about right now in the music technology space? Yes, I actually last week went to Blackbird, a studio in Nashville, had a demo of a platform called Sony Architect. And so it's built by the company of Sony. It's not associated with the record label, but they have a new technology that they've been working on that I think will be really interesting because it's for mix engineers to actually mix from the stems. So they're taking the stems versus the multi-track and then mixing in 10.1 so or more, depending on how many stems they have. So a lot of people are familiar with the 5.1 surround sound and things like that, but this technology is mixing even more and surrounding you even, even better than the 5.1. But on top of that, they've also created a technology for the headphones. So yes, 5.1 is great if you have surround sound set up in your house and things like that. But what they've done is they're creating um, an app to where you can actually hear it in your headphones. 10.1, which was amazing. So we did the demo and we heard it and it really is the kind of thing you kind of have to demo it to believe it because it just sounded incredible. Like I just pictured if we do start moving towards this way and updating the way instead of mixing in stereo, mixing in surround, it'll be such a cool experience for, for everybody. So it's called Sony architect and it was really, really amazing. So hopefully that'll take off soon, sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's cool to see the kind of the acoustical side of the experience of listening to continue to 
adapt at the same time that this delivery and distribution side of things is um, is also kind of deepening, I think, the listener experience. So that's great. Thank you. How about industry events? Are you guys going to anything that people can come find you at in the coming months? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing AES Dublin. I'm doing, I'm running a panel there. Um, I just got invited to the ASCAP panel here in Los Angeles. That's coming up. I'm doing launch. Yeah, and we'll also be the MPG is doing a conference about metadata and specifically the the REN file. So Helen and our London office will be participating that in London. And then we'll also be at Music Biz in May in Nashville, along with the DDEX plenary in Nashville's in May. So awesome. Great. I guess we're out a couple of different places the next couple months. Excellent. Great. Yeah, no, I'd like to, you know, I think the, the podcast is a great way to get information out there. But of course, the relationships are the most important thing in the in the industry. In spite of what people think with everything that's going on digital, it's getting out there and meeting people. So great to hear where you're going to be. People can look for you there. Um, we're going to be hosting a music tech meetup at South by Southwest on March 13th from five to six. That takes place at the Hilton Austin downtown in room 404. Um, our chief operating officer, Cheryl Woodhouse from Rock Paper Scissors, will be co-hosting with Amadea Choplin from PEX. So hopefully our listeners that are going to be at South by Southwest can come out and say hello to the Rock Paper Scissors team and the PEX team and everybody else. They really work hard to make sure that this isn't a showcasing type of thing, but really everyone gets a chance to meet each other. So plan to bring a 50 or 100 business cards and come back with that many from different people that you meet there as well. This has been so cool to take a deep dive into metadata. Uh, Drew Waters and Deborah Fairchild from Viva Sound and Studio Collect. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to running into you guys soon. I, I've seen you both in Nashville and Los Angeles and even here in Bloomington, Indiana. And New York too. <laughs> New York as well. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll run into each other soon. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Thank you, sir. See you soon. And uh, keep listening to Music Tectonics, folks. Um, spread the word. We're still a new, uh, a new podcast and really appreciate you listening. Look forward to hearing your ideas of other guests we can have on. And we'll look forward to seeing you out there in the world. Thank you. You're listening to Music Tectonics.